right. Well, good morning again. Uh, so we are going through our series, God-Sized Conversations. Now last week we looked at what the purpose of humanity is, that the purpose of humanity is to glorify God, to glorify God, to, to praise him and worship him and enjoy him. That we have, he's kind of lifted up that purpose above all other purposes so that we might enjoy all of him, so that we might not run after other things. We would put him first and enjoy him first and we'd enjoy him as the, the ultimate blessing in our lives. Now this week is hopefully going to build on that, and it needs to build on that. We didn't really understand or couldn't really buy the message last week. We can't buy this one either. Because this week we were talking about a, a more difficult question, probably one of the most common questions uh, of believers and non-believers alike. Today we're talking about the problem of suffering. The problem of suffering. Now this question came up a lot in a bunch of different forms. Uh, why is there so much pain in the world? How do I explain the goodness of God to my niece and nephew who bo lost both of their parents? Why do babies and animals have to suffer? Why do the innocent have to suffer? In its most kind of intellectual form, I'd ask the question this way, like, how can there be suffering if we have a perfectly good, perfectly powerful, all-powerful God? Shouldn't he be ending suffering? And if there is suffering in the world, doesn't it prove that maybe God isn't all-powerful or maybe he isn't as good as we thought he was? We can't believe in the God as he, as he claims to be when we look out in the world and see the suffering before us. All right. Before we start to answer this question, I want to make something clear that we can answer this question in, in one of two ways. We can answer it in kind of a, a counseling way. And maybe you're thinking about this question and thinking, oh, like, I am currently enduring suffering. Like, what do I do with it? How do I, how do I deal with it here and now? That's going to be very different than the question that's related, which is, that we're going to talk about this morning, which is like, how do I reconcile suffering with a real God? And, and does he exist? How do, I, how do I believe in his existence when I see the suffering around me? All right, this is going to answer that second question. If you are suffering right here and right now, uh, we shouldn't throw theology at people or, or complex explanations. We could tell people, like, just mourn and weep and go to God and, and trust in his salvation. Walk with Jesus. I'll walk with you. If you come to me and you're like, I'm, I'm suffering, this is not what I'm going to give you. All right? But we need this foundation. Because if we don't have this foundation, we might in our hearts really believe that God is a, has abandoned us. Or we might say, you know what, I, well, we'll start to cut back on the goodness of God. We, maybe he's not as good as we thought. Or maybe we start to question and say, you know, maybe he's not as powerful as I thought he was. We start destroying the, the power of God or the goodness of God. Maybe even we've gone so far as to look out in the world and say, with all of this suffering, I cannot believe in a God. I cannot believe in the God of the Bible. Maybe I don't believe in anything. All right, if that's where suffering has left you, I want to compel you that there can be suffering and it can be part of God's plan. God can use it for our good, for his glory, and can actually defeat it and bring greater glory out of suffering than there was before.
that these two things are not contrary and don't need to be. So with that in mind, we're going to answer uh, three questions. Three questions. So first, what is God's relationship to suffering? How, how are suffering and, and God's sovereignty related? Second, why doesn't God just immediately get rid of suffering? What's it for? And finally, we're going to answer this question, like, why did God allow its possibility? Why, why was it part of the plan in the first place? And my hope is that ultimately that takes us to Jesus. That God has answered our suffering with Jesus. He'll be overcome in Jesus. That Jesus is our only hope. So let's, let's pray and then we'll jump into it. Father, we come to you not as intellectuals, but as broken-hearted people. And Father, yet we want to see your larger plan. We want to see what you are doing. And Father, we ultimately know that we're going to be uh, challenged to see what you are doing in suffering. Father, that you have higher plans than, than we have for ourselves. You have higher goals. And Father, we ask that we would receive those things joyfully. And if not joyfully, then willingly, with open hands, trusting that you are doing things that we cannot see and understand. Father, help us to understand suffering and help us to move from suffering to glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we start first with what is God's relationship to suffering? Where does suffering come from? Now, fundamentally, I think we want to say this. That God hates suffering. He hates suffering. And he, he wars against it. He hates when people cause other people to suffer. That he has a plan to, to destroy it. But we also say that God, God believes it is real. All right, we can't say that of, of, of everyone, because everyone has the problem of suffering. Everyone's trying to explain it. In every single worldview, in every single life, you have to answer after some explanation of what suffering is. Now, some have offered the explanation that, that it's not real, and that really it's, a, it's an illusion, that we can think away suffering or we can um, meditate away suffering. It's a figment of our imagination. that we've, we've made it what it is. All right. I think we recognize that in our hearts, we cannot believe that. We know what suffering is. We have felt it. It, it cannot be just an illusion. All right, there's others that say that suffering, while, while we might not like it, it's not really bad. It's not something that, it just is the way the world works. It was meant to be that, that way. That's how evolution, uh, the wheels of evolution move forward. And so we get kind of sympathetic and, and emotional about suffering, but we can't say anything more than we, we just don't like how it feels. All right, that's where I think we have a better explanation of suffering in the word that, that it is horrible, that it's not the way it should be, that it's contrary to the, the world created very good. I think that's a more compelling answer to what this suffering really is. And that we have a God who hates it and we even have a God who weeps over it. I think of John, John eleven thirty three. 
that Jesus standing before two sisters at the tomb of Lazarus, we have Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. That God weeps over the suffering of humanity. He doesn't say that it's not real. He doesn't say that it's, well, it's just part of life. No, he weeps over it. That's his fundamental relationship to it. But, but we want more. We want to know, well, where did it come from, really? Where did it come from? Now, I'll start not by talking about suffering, but talking about something else, which we often forget about, and that's, that's part of the trouble is that humanity is free. Humanity is free. We believe in free will. We fully believe in free will. And those of you who don't believe in free will, you should. And actually, probably most of you think that it's good theology to not believe in free will. It's not. All right, so uh, a lot of you like the Westminster standards. A lot of you don't know what that is, and you don't care. But some of you really like them. And they say this. Uh, all right, it's really complicated, so stick with me. All right. This is why I have to read it, but uh, you don't want to. Um, but you, you can, you can. God hath endued, God, God has given, uh, the will of man with that natural liberty. He's given the will of man with natural liberty that that will is neither forced to good or evil, nor is by absolute necessity of its nature good or evil. All right, what's he saying? The, the authors here are saying that mankind is truly free is truly free to choose good or evil, to sin or not sin. And we believe in that. And then we might say, okay, but the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God aligns perfectly with the free will of man. That God, in his sovereign plan, has given creatures free will. Now, why do we care about that? We care about that because we truly believe that mankind, fully free, used that free will to choose sin. To choose sin. And what is sin? What sin is, in one sense, lawlessness. It's going against God, but we don't really, we don't really buy what sin is. Sin is a rejection of the, of the God of life, of goodness, of perfection. And that if you choose life, if you choose sin, you are, you are rejecting life. You are choosing spiritual death. You are trying to live apart from the, the true and only source of life. And that's what Adam did. Adam, when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he chose death. And he sinned. Now that is on humanity's shoulders. That is humanity's responsibility. That's what humanity chose to do with the freedom that was given them. And that's what you and I do each and every day. That we have real choices. And we choose death over the God of life. We choose to run from the one source that is going to sustain us. We choose spiritual death. And so, what does the sovereign God do? What did the sovereign God do? What he did was, he took this sin and he tied to that sin suffering. 
He linked the two. He linked suffering to this sin. Now that, that, that has scary implications for us. And this whole week I was, I was trying to get away from those implications. Because then I'd say, like, well then God created suffering? God chose suffering? He didn't just allow it, but he, he attached willingly suffering to sin. And I think we have to say, yes. Now, I, I tried to look at the Hebrew, and I was like, whoa, it's cursed, and he didn't really curse mankind. It's, it's a passive tense. You know, you can do all kinds of stuff with Hebrew if you want, because you guys don't know Hebrew well enough to challenge it. Um, but <laughs> that's the danger. Uh, but the thing is, it's, it's not honest. It's not an honest portrayal of Scripture. It's that, that God did. He, he didn't have to tie suffering to sin, but he did. And I had to wrestle with the implications of like, whoa, does that mean he was just mad that we didn't glorify him? And so he's punishing us. And he's just making our lives miserable and saying, well, you know, you just come, you'll have to come back to me. I'll just make your lives so miserable that you'll have to. And then this really ugly picture of God in my mind, just a tyrant. And, and it helped me see that in my heart, I don't really understand what sin is. That I think sin is just innocent goodness and, and it won't really hurt me. And I don't understand the glory of God that it actually is the only source of life, the only purpose, that if I run from that purpose, I will be utterly destroyed from the inside out. And that's where we have to tell the story differently, that God linked suffering and sin so that we might be saved. So we might see sin for what it really is. So we might feel what it is. We might know what it is. And that's where we have a God who we have to say, hasn't just allowed suffering. No, he has put suffering into the world for our good. And that all suffering in the world is for the ultimate glory of God and the goodness of humanity. Which is an incredibly painful thing to say. But that's where, that's where we ask, like, well, God, God, why didn't you... Why would you allow suffering and still to remain? And so we're gonna, let's, let's walk through some of the reasons that suffering is used for our good. That God has allowed it for our good. All right, first, first, God allows suffering to show us the reality of sin. All right, let's say you have two types of poison. Two types of poison. One is tasteless, odorless, symptomless. What happens when you take this poison? You take it, and you have no idea it's poison until you're dead. All right, that is incredibly dangerous. Now, what if instead there was a second poison, and you take that poison, and it tastes horrible? All right, most poison does. Uh, it's super bitter. Because it's a key that like, oh, you're going to die if you eat this. Please stop eating this. Uh, like, baby, spit this out. It's bad. Um, and they do. All right, but then we're stubborn, and it, it burns our throats on the way down. All right, hits our stomach, and our stomach starts to churn. We start to turn pale and sweat and shake. We're vomiting. All right, that's actually a, a great blessing. That if this poison just went down smooth, we'd have no idea we were about to die. 
All right, that's what suffering is. Suffering is all the symptoms that tell us, you know what, sin is death. Sin is poison. Sin is not something you can play with. You can't just taste it. You will die. And we're thankful that God has attached suffering to these things. And that's what we have to believe in our hearts that as much as we think that suffering is the real horror, as much as we think that suffering out there and, and in our lives is the, is the worst thing in the world, God is desperately trying to convince us no, sin is. Sin is the worst thing in the world. Sin is the thing that will destroy you. Sin is the one thing that will destroy your spirit and your soul. And we're truly mature and we are growing towards maturity as we start to see that actually what's wrong with our lives is not the suffering, it's the sin. And that the sin is so much more detrimental. The sin is killing us. That's where it's, it's sad that this is always the question. This is always the question. And we say suffering, suffering, suffering. Like how could this happen? God is cruel. And we're not asking like, what about the sin? God truly has caught people's attention with the suffering. But instead of hearing them, instead of us looking in and saying, okay, there is something wrong with us. There's something wrong with the world. Clearly things are broken. We call out God and say, why did you make us suffer? Instead, we should be asking, what did we do, God? We must have done something. We have sinned. All right, that's not the only purpose, though. And if we stick with just that purpose, we'll get in trouble because then every time we encounter, sin, encounter suffering in our lives, we're going to think, oh, I must have sinned. I must have sinned. God is cursing me. No. All right, God does other things with suffering. And that's where he uses suffering to transform us. To root out the sin in our lives and to, to bring us to further beauty and glory and reflect his character. <coughs> Alright, so uh, C.S. Lewis has this picture. And what he says is, uh, if you compare a sketch that an artist has drawn to his masterpiece. Now the sketch, the sketch is completed in, in five minutes. He doodles it out and, he, and the artist throws it away. The masterpiece, the masterpiece the artist loves. And he toils and he corrects and he perfects this masterpiece. Now, if you're looking at the perspective and you're saying, the masterpiece is looking at his life, his life as a piece of work, and he says, like, this artist hates me. He's constantly erasing and smudging and correcting and scraping and, and ruining my life. Why? So he might be perfect. So he might be beautiful. So he might reflect all of the glory of this artist. And that masterpiece might even say, like, look at the life of the sketch. God must love him more. The artist must love him more. He doesn't go through all this pain. All right, what we're asking for in that moment is not for God to love us more. We're asking for God to love us less. To demand less perfection from us, to to have lower standards for our beauty and our character and our glory. C.S. Lewis brings up another analogy. And he talks about the love that a father has for a son. All right, when I go to the grocery store, 
And I see, I see kids freaking out. What do I think? I think, first of all, like, oh, thankfully Remy's not doing that yet, uh, <laughs> or currently, uh, or I'm not with him. I'm like, oh, <laughs> he's with Casey, good. Uh, but what I don't do, I don't discipline that child. If that child's throwing a tantrum, like, I don't put him in timeout. Why not? I, I would like to say it's because it's not my kid. All right, but that's not the real reason. What's the real reason? The real reason is I don't care about that kid. And I just want to get away from that kid as fast as possible. I have no love for that child. And so I'm not going to go through the pain of, of disciplining him. I don't want to, it's not worth it to me because I don't care. All right, if Remy, my kid, does the same thing, I care. And I love him enough to give him a temporary timeout, a temporary punishment to save him from his eternal, his, not eternal life, but his coming life, the long-term life, so he might be protected from, from punishments and timeouts like prison and, and a horrible life. You know, now Remy might look at those other kids and say, well, you, why, why don't you punish them? Because I love you more. And I want better things for you. I want more glory for you than I want for that kid. All right, that's where we are. We are angsty teenagers with God. And we say, well, I, I, don't, I don't want you to love me. I don't want the suffering. Just give me candy bars and I'll be good. And he, he, he refuses to do that. He refuses. Because it's not what we actually need. All right, I could go on and on and on about how God uses suffering. He uses suffering to, to transform us into, into his image. He uses us to, to show us our sin. He uses us to, suffering to, to break down our idols. He uses suffering to, to show the world the reality of their relationship with him. And in all these things, we have to trust him that when he uses suffering and when he gives us suffering, he's doing it for our good to point us back to his glory, to restore us to himself. Even to make us more desperate to have him. To look forward to heaven all the more. God is using it for our good. All right, but that makes us ask the question. And it's a, it's a good question. We ask ourselves, well, why did it have to be this way? And that's where I'm not going to give you this kind of cookie-cutter answer that is a horrible answer. This just says, well, you know, God had to give us free will. He had no choice. No, that's not what God says. That he's enslaved to human, human freedom, so, so he had to have life look this way. No, God is free. God is free, and he does what he does, and he wills what he wills. He is sovereign. And that's we have to accept that he is sovereign over all suffering. It is not independent from his plan. That there is nothing that happens that he didn't will decidedly. That he pre didn't prepare from, from eternity before. And so now you're asking, okay. Yeah, we're upset about that. <laughs> all right, when we look at this then, we can ask, okay. God, why did you make it this way? 
Why did you make it this way? Why, why, didn't you, why did you have to link sin and suffering? Because you didn't have to. Why did you make it so that Adam could, could choose evil? He could have chosen good. You have a plan here. Why did you make it this, this plan? All right, that's a really difficult question. And probably not one I can give you a satisfying answer to, but I can point you to, to, the, to what God does say. Now, who struggles with this question more than, than Job? All right, for those of you who don't know Job, uh, Job was a righteous man. He was like, it's like, he's portrayed in like glowing colors. He's this amazing believer. And Satan comes and he asks and he says, you know what? I don't think that Job is actually worshiping you. I think he's just enjoying all the blessings you give him. And so what does God say? God says, you know what? Okay. I think better of Job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you, Satan, to, to test him. And Job receives that suffering out of God's hand. And his whole family dies. His whole household is destroyed. All of the wealth that he had, he had mustered for himself, he loses. His health is in, he's a, a, on the thread, about to die. And Job this whole time he's asking, why did it have to be this way? Why did it have to be this way? Why did you do this to me? And in the end, God does answer. And what does God say? He says, who are you, Job? Who are you, Job? And he continues to ask questions of him. He says, like, where were you when heaven and earth were made? Tell me, how, how about you command the wind for me? How about you, you ride the storm? Can you tell the lightning bolt where it should go? Can you tame the lion? Can you store up heavenly storehouses of snow and rain and sleet? Tell me how, how, to, how the mountain goat gives birth. Go, go be their nurse. Like... Who are you, Job? He reminds Job that there, there's something so much larger than just our peace and our happiness and our comfort. That the glory of God is ultimate. And that the glory of God is, is all that remains in the end. And that the thing that sustains our very life is God in his glory. And that we are, as creatures, are called to worship first and foremost. That the worship of God is life. That comfort and happiness and peace are not life. And at the end of this whole episode, Job says this. This is Job's lesson. He says, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I have heard of you, by hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. All right, what's he saying? He's saying that he'd heard of the glory of God before. He heard of how good God was, that all things were created for the glory of God, that anything is worth 
seeing and beholding the glory of God, that, that nothing is more valuable than understanding the glory of God, but that had all been intellectual, he'd heard it with his ears. And in the end, after Job has suffered, what does he say? He says, now I finally see you. I see you and I see that your glory is more ultimate than anything else. That actually if I have nothing else and I understand your glory and I know you for who you are, it'll be worth it. And he says, I'm sorry that as a creature, I thought that there were, there were higher things and that I had a plan that could trump your plan. And he actually goes away blessed. Blessed with the knowledge that God is more glorious and is more holy, that there's nothing greater than him. All right, that's what happens when, when someone's asked, like, well, why is it this way? We don't really believe that God's glory is ultimate. We don't really believe that what we truly need is freedom from sin and more of God. We really just want a nice grandpa God who gives us candy. He refuses to be that for us. Instead, he gives us suffering. And instead, he shows us our sin. But then finally, he actually comes and deals with it. And that's where this same God that, that asks, who are you? Who are you, Job? Can you, can you ride the lightning? Can you conquer the dragon? That same God comes in the form of a man. He comes just like us and he suffers. And so we see Jesus weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. Weeping like a real person because he was fully man as much as he was fully God. We see him watch as, as John the Baptist, his friend, is murdered. His head put on a, on a stake. We see him experience homelessness and hunger and thirst. We watch as he, as he suffers the betrayal of his people collectively, of his friends, that in the end, they can't even pray for him. They won't even stick by his side. They won't even acknowledge they know him. That the whole world abandons him. And there he is on the cross. What? Suffering because we sinned and paying for our sin on the cross. That's what this God does. That's this God who, who gave us suffering to show us our sin, but then suffered to pay for it. He suffered to pay for it himself. And as he died there, he was paying for our sin. He's paying for the one thing that could actually destroy us. Not suffering, but sin. And then when Jesus rises from the dead, we see the full story. The full story of the glory of God. When Jesus rises from the dead, we see that actually death can be turned into life. That suffering can be turned to glory. That defeat can be turned into victory. That's the point. And that's what Jesus offers to us. That if at least we'll, if we'll understand the suffering and receive the suffering and payment for sin then in, in a reflection of sin, he promises, if you are in me, I will turn it to glory. I will turn it to life. I will turn it to victory. 
And when Jesus returns, he doesn't just come to return it to, to zero again, to wipe away the suffering and sin. No, he, he turns the suffering into glory. So that everything will be far better than it was before. It'll be more beautiful than it was before. That at the end, we'll look back and we'll say, God, I, we're thankful for the suffering because you used it to make this. It's more beautiful than we ever could imagine. It's better. It is more glorious. That my life is more glorious because of the suffering that you put in it. That the world's celebration and enjoyment of you is more because of the suffering that has been here. All right, that's the promise. Now that, that should give us infinite hope. If, if we are, if we think that God is the greatest thing, and if we believe that Jesus can bring glory to come, if it's worth it. Now I have to look at my life and say, you know, I don't really believe that. I don't really believe the worst thing is sin, the greatest things are yet to come. I do get stuck right here in this life and yelling at God because of suffering. We have to admit that that is total foolishness that God is trying to save us. And that even Job himself was restored to twice his wealth, to his family restored. And having a greater picture of God as a result. That is our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is that God, yes, yes, gives us suffering. Yes, shows us our sin, but then he pays for it and gives us glory in return. That's the God that we know and we love and we worship. Amen? All right. Questions? Questions? Oh, come on. We're talking about suffering. This is a question rich. Nothing? Yeah, Rob. Uh, I would say they're, they're intimately related. Okay. That uh, sanctification comes through suffering more than anything else, probably. That, that we, if, we, if we are able to suffer well, that that suffering should push us towards God, that it should tear away our idols that we're clinging to, and should put our hope ultimately in Jesus and in the glory to come and nothing else. Now, is that the only means of sanctification? Absolutely not. But suffering is one of those things. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're totally good with suffering. All right. No questions. Jack. people on the spiritual journey as far as we and ourselves have gone. 
I have uh, learned deep communion and compassion are formed much more by shared pain than by shared pleasure. The message transformed people. That transformed people. Transformed people. And when you can be healed yourself and not just talk about healing, you are a wounded healer. Right. And that, that's where I think you and Cindy came to mind in thinking about these things that Helena, I think you'd say that in some sense your salvation is because you witnessed Cindy's suffering and giving glory to God in the midst of it. And that those who, who do suffer are able to offer comfort that is unlike any other. And to people who are suffering and still giving glory to God, you have a greater witness. And you can give the, the beauty of Jesus to people in a way that others cannot. And that's where Job, Job not only does he restore himself, but he goes to his friends who had been uttering total lies and he offers sacrifice and prayer for them. He, tell, he, he shows them that it's not about just pleasing God so they get blessings. It's about glorifying God in all circumstances, receiving the, the suffering and the blessing, that that's what, what enjoying God really looks like. Other questions? You're letting me off the hook. Okay. If you have questions, please come talk to me. This is, these are, this is scratching the surface of what we're talking about here. And there are no pat answers. These are not counseling answers. This is theology and, and the hope of Jesus, which is hopefully going to sustain you. Let's pray. Father, we confess that as we think about suffering, um, we need so much renewal. Because when we think about suffering, we think about it um, so temporary. And Father, we miss that, that sin is the real problem. And Father, that suffering can be turned to glory. Sin cannot. That sin gives us death. But we thank you that Jesus has taken away our sin. Father, would you help us to, to receive the things that you have for us, to accept from your hands all things, knowing that ultimately you've given us all things in Jesus. You've withheld nothing. And in the end, we will look at all of this suffering and see that it is nothing compared to the weight of glory that is before us. Father, give us great faith.